Good morning. It's good to see y'all this morning. Thankful that you are here with us. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. This morning we are going to finish out the book of Daniel. I have tremendously enjoyed this study together through the book of Daniel. I pray that you have as well. And as we look at the end of the book of Daniel, I think in just a few minutes you will recognize why it is that we were singing just a few minutes ago. Uh, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. There's a reason we've been singing about heaven this morning. I think it'll be apparent in the text. So uh, this morning, again, I mentioned this last week, but it bears mentioning again. If you haven't been with us throughout the entire Daniel study, I'm not going to go through all of chapter 11. And some of it you will not be as familiar with. The reason I'm not going through all of it is because chapter 11 covers the history uh, that was covered pretty thoroughly in chapter 2 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 as well. And then part of the end of chapter 9 was also part of it. And so really the, the historical aspect for us, right, it's future prophecy for Daniel, but the historical aspect of chapter 11, we have covered well, we've seen at length. And so in order for us to move on and finish the book of Daniel, I'm not going to go over a lot of that, but I would uh, offer it to you. There's an opportunity for you to go back and hear those sermons if you haven't. Uh, you can go on the church's Facebook page, Mount Zion Brookhaven. I went through, was going through this morning early and marking each one of those, making a comment saying which chapter each of those videos is on so you can easily find that. Uh, we also have a podcaster I do. It's, it's just called The Running Pastor. That's on iTunes, Google Play, all those. Look for Running Pastor. And again, clearly marked chapter 2, chapter 7. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 would be the ones that would cover that history of chapter 11 if you want to go back and see that. For our purpose this morning, we're going to see just a little bit of the end of chapter 11 and focus on the message of chapter 12. Now why? Why even look at, at the end of 11 at all if chapter 12 is where we want to focus? And it's because of this, I believe that for us to fully appreciate the glory and beauty of the coming victory of Christ... In order for us to fully appreciate or to more fully appreciate the glory of heaven, I think that seeing the contrast of how difficult things are and will be on this earth helps us to do that. So whenever we see uh, this great time of testing and trying that's coming, it makes us look more forward to the glorious return of Christ. So we're going to see that. In chapter 11, what do we see? Chapter 11, I told you, we see the history of the Greek empire that we've already seen in those chapters, of the Persian empire, a lot of the same things we've already looked at. We see a lot of specific teaching about uh, the Seleucid empire, Syrian empire, under Antiochus, Epiphanes. And that's what we're going to focus on a little bit at the end of it. And you say, Brother Zach, you, have, you beat that horse. If y'all were with us on Wednesday nights and Sundays when we looked at that, Brother Zach, you have beat that Antiochus horse to death. Why is that the part that you're going to share a little bit of again? And I, I'll tell you why in just a moment. But as you look in chapter 11, uh, we read many things about this evil ruler who attacked God's people, who attacked Jerusalem, who took over the temple. In 1131, Daniel 1131... 
we read it says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Again, we're not going through all of this text, but I just want to show you a few of the key things that we recognize about him. Verse 36, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. In the beginning of verse 41, it says, He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall. And so we see these things about Antiochus. If you're not familiar with him, this, this ruler who had a strong bent against God's people. And so he takes over Judah and Jerusalem, and he takes over the temple, and he says, you're not making sacrifices to Yahweh, to your God here anymore. I'm outlawing that. Uh, if you try and do that, it will be at risk of your life. You will worship me, and you'll worship me alone. It's why he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. He said that he was a God, and he was the one that was worthy to be worshipped. And he did kill many of the Jewish people. Many of God's people were killed because of their staunch belief in the worship of God. And so we see this. Now, why are we talking about him again as we look toward the end of time? Because obviously the second century B.C. was not the end of time. That was a long time ago. But Antiochus in the book of Daniel is what scholars refer to as a type, quote-unquote type. And what do they mean by that? He is foreshadowing the type of person that is going to come at the end of time. You see, whatever we read about Antiochus in the book of Daniel, we understand that it's foreshadowing and giving us an idea of what the Antichrist is going to look like when he comes. What sort of things he's going to do when he comes. And so all of these things that we see are things that we also read in the book of Daniel about this terrible, evil ruler that is to come. See, Daniel 7 was not about Antiochus. It was not about Syria. It was not about Seleucids. It was just talking about this evil ruler that was going to come at the end of time, the Antichrist. And just one verse out of that, verse 25, Daniel seven twenty-five says, He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So we see a lot of those same things, right? Speaks openly against God, exalts himself, uh, will wear out the saints of God, will take away the law and the times and the sacrifices of the people of God. So many of these same things, Antiochus is a type, shows us what the man of lawlessness, as Paul refers to him, the Antichrist, as John and many of us refer to him, will look like. So point one this morning, a strong and terrible ruler will come before the end of time. We see that clearly. There's, there's coming a day when there will be, right there, you say, Brother Zach, there are a lot of really powerful, terrible rulers today. Yes, there, there are many that we classify that way. Uh, but the one that is coming will be worse than any of them. The ruler that is coming, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is going to be worse than Antiochus. He's going to be worse than any of the rulers that you see in today's time. The times when he's ruling will be worse than any of the terrible things that you see today. You ask, how do I know that? 
Well, the scripture's clear about it. As we turn our attention to chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, the first half of verse 1 says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. We understand that to be Michael the archangel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. We see this teaching that, that at the end of time, whenever Revelation makes clear there's this war between Michael and the angels of heaven and Satan and the demonic angels that follow him. So when the end of time is coming, as it's getting close to the end of time, before Christ's return, there's going to be a time of trouble that there's never been one like ever before. And Jesus speaks to that as well. In Matthew 24, write this text down. You can read this later. Matthew 24, 15 through 21. Jesus actually refers to the book of Daniel and relates it to the end of time. He said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. And in verse 21 he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Point two. There's coming a time of trouble unlike any before. That's what we see clearly here in Daniel 12. At the end of chapter 11, we see some really bad times in chapter 12. It's made clear the time that's coming is going to be worse than any of them that have come before. Jesus reiterates this. This teaching is clear in the book of Revelation. And so the, the beginning of this vision, I told you, really our focus for today is going to be the good part, as we would call it, the good part of chapter 12, the part of chapter 12 that we really like, the dominating picture of Daniel chapter 12. But I wanted us to start here with this, this view of the tribulation that's coming, this view of the trouble that's coming. I don't know when it's coming. None of us know when it's coming. But at some point in time in our life or after our life, there's coming a ruler who will be worse than any ruler that's come before. There's going to be trouble and hard times unlike any that have been had before. There's going to be persecution for God's people unlike any that has ever been had before. So is that where the book of Daniel stops and ends? Does it end here on a sour note? I would ask you, do the bad guys ever really win in the end? No. Y'all ever seen a movie where the bad guys win? you did it's a terrible movie don't watch it again no the good guys always win and we see that here it's true in human history and future as well look back in Daniel 12 I didn't read the end of verse 1 we only read the first part but let's look at all of it with the following verses as well at that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Here we see what's coming after what's coming, right? We, we have now and then what is coming is a time of trouble unlike anybody's ever seen before. But what's coming after the time of trouble is a time of victory, unlike any that has ever happened before. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is God being victorious over all evil and against everyone who opposes Him forever and ever. And that is good news. That is where the book is going to end. Point three, in the end, God is victorious and so are all that belong to him. And I don't want you to miss that. God's victorious. We know that God's going to be victorious. We know that he's going to win. But it also makes clear that who else is going to end up being winners here? Everybody that belongs to God when he is the ultimate winner. It says there in verse 3, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Who do we know to be wise and those that turn many to righteousness? Those are the followers of Christ, the followers of God. And they will shine like the brightness of the sky above and shine like the stars forever and ever, foreshadowing a picture of the glory that's coming for those that belong to God. For every one of us that has faith in Jesus Christ. So, so here we have the same picture that we have seen over and over throughout the book of Daniel. We have a strong ruler wanting to do evil. We have him apparently seeming to be stronger than the people of God. And then we have God humbling him and being victorious in the end. We saw it with Nebuchadnezzar. We saw it with Belshazzar. We saw it with evil forces. We see it here with the evil forces that are to come as well. Brothers and sisters, God has never lost a fight. And he's not about to start now. That's good news for us. That is very good news for us. So, so the tribulation and the trouble that's coming, worse than anything you've ever seen. Worse than anything anyone has ever seen. But the victory that's coming after that is better than anything you've ever seen. And is better than anything anyone has ever seen. Daniel has already promised us, or we've already been promised in the book of Daniel, that it will be ten times greater than the year of Jubilee, the time they look forward to more than anything else. Daniel 7, and in Matthew 24, and in Revelation 1, they all speak about this day as the day when Christ comes back riding on the clouds. This idea of the Son of Man coming, riding on the clouds, ushering in judgment and eternal life for everyone. We see this day clearly here in Daniel 12 in these first three verses, what's going to happen. We see this idea of the dead being raised back to life, right? Verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. And then we see two groups that I want us to look at for just a moment. Verse 2, it says, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake. Right, this is the resurrection. These are dead people being brought back to life for judgment. And it says, Some to everlasting life. I want us to look at that group first. What does it look like? What does the resurrection in this eternal life look like for those that, that are going to be resurrected and brought to judgment for those that are going to receive 
everlasting life. Well, in Revelation 20 and 21, where we read about this, we read about the, the, the great white throne judgment when everyone is brought, the dead are raised, and everyone gathers there, and they're, they're judged. That's when we read about the new heaven and the new earth. This is, when you picture heaven, this is probably the picture that you have. When you read books about heaven, this is probably the heaven that it's talking about. When we pray about heaven, when we sing about heaven, this is what we have to mind. This is the place where, where God wipes away the tear from every eye. This is where there's no more sin. The place where there's no more death. Where there's no more hurting. Where there's no more darkness. It's an amazing thing about heaven to me. It says that there won't even be a sun or moon in the sky. And you know why? Because it says Jesus is the light of the new heaven and the new earth. And brothers, Jesus never dims. There's no darkness. There will never be darkness ever again. And it says that there's no temple. And that seems like an interesting thing because God is the one that gave the dimensions to build the temple in the first place. And it's where people went to worship Him. But there's no temple, or for us, there's no church building in the new heaven. The place that we'll live, those of us that have faith in Christ forever and ever. Why is there no church building? Because in the new heaven and the new earth, the one that we worship will be the place that we worship. It says that Jesus is the temple, or in our context, Jesus is the church building. We're not going to gather in a building like this to look at a preacher on a stage. We're going to gather around Jesus himself. And when we're singing about Jesus, we can look at Jesus. And when we're thinking about Him dying in our place, we can see Him. And we can tell Him face to face, Lord, thank You for paying the price for my sins. We can look in the eyes of Jesus when we get to the new heaven and new earth. Brothers and sisters, the glory of the heaven that's coming, the glory of the everlasting life that we will be raised to, is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine, and it makes it worth it. No matter how bad the trouble gets, no matter how bad the persecution gets, no matter how bad the tribulation gets, it will be worth it when we spend one second in this great eternity with Christ. And we won't spend one second alone there. We will spend all of eternity with Jesus there. Who is that for? That is for everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. We're told in Revelation that is the book of life. Everyone whose name is written there will experience this. But we're also told clearly that everyone's name is not written in the book. That that, is, that glorious, beautiful experience is not going to be the experience of everyone. Daniel 12, 2 said, Of those that are raised, that some will be raised to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. These are all people that have not professed faith in Jesus Christ when they leave this earth. Whether that be through death, they died without ever having faith in Jesus Christ, or they're here when He returns and they don't have yet to that point had faith in Jesus Christ. They will all find their names not written in the book of life, and they will all be raised to shame and everlasting contempt. And shame and everlasting contempt doesn't really fully help us to understand. I think Revelation 20, the, the language there, may be easier for us to really grasp what it's going to be like. 
Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15 say, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Brothers and sisters, everyone that lives on this earth, whether it's the Antichrist or Antiochus or just somebody that you know that lives this life thinking that it's all about them, thinking it's about something other than Christ, not professing Him as Lord, not living for His glory, anyone that lives that way here will die if Jesus tarries long enough and then will be raised to be judged and then will die again. But the second death isn't a literal death like they just go away forever. No, it says the second death is being thrown into the lake of fire to be there for all of eternity. The place that is prepared for Satan and his angels. That there will be people that will be thrown there because of their lack of response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to me, this has to be a reminder to us of the importance of doing what Christ has called us to. Of witnessing by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we're called doing Acts 1, of going and making disciples of all nations, of sharing the gospel, because how is it that people are saved? It's by the gospel. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we share that message with everyone that we meet, that they would have the opportunity to respond to the gospel here before they come to this place, this judgment that is to come. But with this... I present you with the overarching argument of the book of Daniel. I present you with what I would call the thesis statement of the book of Daniel. God is always in control. So we see throughout the book of Daniel. No matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how strong the evil looks, no matter how bad the opposition is, God is in control. He has always been in control and He will always be in control. It says when things get as bad as they will ever get, worse than have ever been seen before, God will still be in control. And when He wants to bring that to an end, He will bring that to an end. It will stop when He says it will stop. And everyone that is opposed to Him will be raised to be judged by Him and then be punished again. Brothers and sisters, God will always be in control. And that's good news. That's exciting for those of us that are his children, that follow him. But there are a few other things in Daniel 12 as you read through. Again, we get into some numbers in verses 11 and 12. We've already seen times and time and half a time. And we get into some more numbers, 1,290 days and 1,335 days. Talking about how long these things will last. I'll be honest, these are more numbers that I don't understand. If you do... And we'll have a talk. Because whenever we try and decipher these numbers to know exactly when Christ will return, we're undertaking a futile endeavor. Because Christ said when he was on earth that he didn't know when the end would be. And so I don't feel bad telling you that I don't know. Because Christ said that only the Father knew. That he didn't even know. I wanted to read to you a summation of some of those numbers from a a commentary that I have, Tremper Longman III, a very good scholar, Dr. Longman, sums up some of these things at the end of Daniel 12 this way. So what is the relationship of the 1290 days to the 1335 days? 
to the 2300 evenings and mornings from chapter 8, to the times, times, and half a time, God alone knows. And that seems to be the point. God knows that there's an end that He has determined, but we cannot figure it out because we are not supposed to. Leave it to God, the angel says to Daniel. And through Him, He speaks to us. Once again to Daniel, but also to us. And then He gives us the last verse of the book of Daniel, which as we finish the book of Daniel, I will give to you as well. This is the angel speaking to Daniel, but as Dr. Longman says, I believe, speaking to us as well. Daniel 12, 13 says, Go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. What do we do with all of this information? Knowing about Greeks and Persians and Antiochus, knowing about the Antichrist to come, knowing about the tribulation period, knowing about the great victory of Christ, what do we do with all of this? Well, he told us what to do. Go about your life. Go your way. Go out daily. Follow the teachings of the Word of God. That's what I believe it means when he says, go your way. Do the things that you should do. Go and make disciples. Daily, wake up and love your spouse selflessly. Love and raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, teaching them the Word of God. Share the gospel with everyone that we meet Praise and worship God in the good times and in the bad, knowing that no matter what things look like to us, God is in control. And in our southern language, we can sum it up this way. We can do all of that knowing that in the end, God will make it all come out in the wash. And it'll be good. It'll be so good. And I look forward to that day. I pray that you do as well. We only have the opportunity for that day because of Jesus Christ. He is the one that has made it available to us, that has made righteousness available to us. So I want us to end today, to end our study in the book of Daniel, simply by praying to God the Father and thanking Him for the sacrifice of His Son in our place so that we could experience His glorious victory with Him. If y'all would join me, let's pray. Lord God, You are so good. And You have been so much better to us than we deserve. Father, we have rebelled and we have sinned and we've done it over and over. Lord, we do not deserve to be in your presence. We do not deserve to gather around you as the temple. Lord, we do not deserve to see your light. We do not deserve to have you wipe away the tears from our eyes. We don't deserve to live in a place of everlasting righteousness where there is no sin and there is no pain and there is no hurt and there is no death forever. Father, we don't deserve those things. We deserve the everlasting contempt, the shame. Father, the second death, that's what we deserve. We are sinners. But Lord, today we thank you because you have made the glorious victory something that we can take part in. Lord, you have made the glorious eternity that we see described in Revelation 20 and 21 something that we could be part of, not because of who we are, but because of what your Son has done, because of the perfect life and death of Jesus Christ, because you gave Him the punishment that we deserve, Father, made it available that if we would respond in faith to Him, that when we respond in faith to Him, Father, that we would then be righteous in your eyes, that you would see our sin no longer, 
that you would allow us to take part in this glorious victory, that when we see you riding on the clouds and we hear the voice of the archangel and hear the trumpet, that we do not have to be scared or worried, but, Father, that we can celebrate because that is the sound of victory that our hearts look forward to. So, Lord, thank you for making that something that we could look forward to. Thank you for allowing us part of that victory. And thank you for the promise that it is coming and no one will ever stop it. Lord, help us to not only celebrate this glorious gospel, but to share this glorious gospel with everyone that we meet. Father, that those that have not heard it would hear it. Father, that you might use us in our sharing of the gospel in some way to be part of their salvation. Lord, we thank you for that great task that you've given us to be witnesses and disciple makers. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for these promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.